Welcome to Behind the Camera, a show dedicated to the producers, directors, technicians, and all the people that bring the images of sports to your television every night. I am your host, Uncle Jesse. On today's show, I welcome in Mike Novak, better known as Buddha. He's a camera operator in Minneapolis. He's done every kind of sports. He's done politics. He's done racing. Welcome into the show. I'm, I'm very glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you with me. Uh, let's start with a little bit of stick and ball. Uh, NBA. So you've had the pleasure as a camera guy of shooting a lot of amazing moments. A lot of those, and you never know when they're going to happen. There's those nights where you show up to work and all of a sudden a moment breaks out. Tell me about 2008 with Derek Rose. So um, October 31st, 2018, um, Derek Rose is playing for the Timberwolves and, and he kind of had been injury prone. So they kind of had ruled him. A lot of people had basically, I think even in the beginning of the season, a lot of analysts on ESPN basically said his career was washed up. And what was awesome about that night was he put up his 50-point career high that night. And it was one of the most emotional games I've seen for a player because it was kind of a statement game for him in the sense that, you know, he wanted to prove his critics wrong. And the moment that I remember the most of it was at the end of the game, his teammates are hugging him and he is crying and our and our sideline talent is going to we're doing our post-game interview and he stops and he breaks out and just is weeping and his head's down and so i had to kind of make a decision am i going to kind of like sit and it's obviously he's like distraught he's going to be like this for a little bit do i kind of keep looking at the camera down on him but that's one of the only times that i've ever like dropped down on my knees during like an interview you know or normally it's a stand-up interview so i could see the fans and everything happening around him. And, and there's this great moment where he's, he looks up and he, and he takes his shirt and he waves it. And I'm trying to hold focus while listening to the director and seeing where our talent is. I'm crying. He's crying. It's just one of those kind of moments that I think transcends sports just because of how human it felt like. Well, it's always nice to see a player prove that they are still worth being in the league for sure yeah absolutely so tell me how you got started in television how did you get into this crazy world of running camera for sports well you know i think there's always like a journey when you're kind of doing your your career and so i actually started in television at a small market cbs affiliate in mankato minnesota called kyc that i took as a I, at the time i was a theater major in college and i realized that my roommates were a lot more talented than i was and i was not going to make it in the theater world and i was like i need to pick up a part-time job and i literally took a darn near minimum wage at a little cbs thing which was i think you know the turning point i always played with cameras when i was a kid and i'd make music videos with my friends but I never thought about TV until I took this part-time job that, you know, ended up having me directing, you know, you did everything in those small market stations. I was the director, the technical director. I would do graphics. I was horrible at graphics, audio, you name it. And then I ended up leaving TV because it paid so little. And I got my nickname Buddha actually when I was a server at Red Lobster because it paid far better money than television did. But one of the guys <laughs> that I worked with at KYC said to me, you really should go to St. Cloud State. If you're thinking about you wanting to be in TV, you should go to St. Cloud State. And I have to say that that was the greatest decision that got me into my television career because at St. Cloud, we have a, a really strong, we're almost like, almost like a Division I football fans. We're like, you know, Division II broadcasting school super fans. And we went to St. Cloud State as part of Husky Productions. And 
I'm lucky to be part of a, a very strong lineage of people that we've all been working in our career with each other ever since. So myself, Clay Matvick, who's a talent with ESPN, Matt and Lisa Gangle. Matt's made it all the way to the very top of the Fox world when it comes to baseball directing. I had a chance to do the World Series with him this last year. Um, but out of St. Cloud, that's how I kind of got my my roots into Minneapolis. And then, you know, you wait for someone to kind of retire or die in, in, in the camera business so you can kind of get into a position. And since I've kind of got to be camera four for both baseball and basketball, I've been it now for almost 15 to 20 years now that I've been in that position. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I was just down the road from you. I started at KVRR in Fargo, North Dakota. Same thing, did graphics, directed a sports show on the weekends. You do a little bit of everything, which is great, though, because you actually learn our craft. So your first show doing handheld, you've been running camera for a while, but the first time you run handheld for hockey and hockey up high is pretty fast. It's a really fast sport. I don't think people, TV doesn't do it justice. You don't realize how fast the sport really is, but it's really fast in the corners. And what was that experience like for you? So um, I've been doing racing, uh, you know, because they're really, when you're utility, you know, baseball season comes around and there's this not, there's like one utility on a baseball broadcast. So we would go off and do a whole bunch of racing during the summers. I would travel um, with what started a speed vision to speed um, would, would kind of take me away all summer. So the very first inaugural season of the Minnesota wild, I was still on the road when their season started, I was wrapping it up. So I had done maybe one game um, where I think I was like maybe a slash camera. So I'd seen the arena, but my first handheld NHL hockey game, was when the Minnesota Wild played the Dallas Stars for the first time, which is was a retribution game in the state of Minnesota. Um, since the you know the Stars had left to go to Dallas, I mean the Norm Green sucks chance had been pretty strong for a long time, and that night kind of started with Neil Broughton kind of coming out to do the Let's Play Hockey, and he's wearing his classic Stars jersey. And he rips the jersey off to show that he's wearing the Minnesota Wild jersey now. And the crowd goes insane, right? And so it was already a pumped-up game. But then you add the fact that we beat that team 6 nothing, four goals on my side that one, which is nerve-wracking <laughs> when, you're, when you're already trying to, you know, kind of get your, your, you know, your feet wet shooting a really high-speed sport, but then, like, louder and louder and louder. And I remember at the end of the game, for almost a good portion of the third period, this Eddie chant was going on because Ed Belford, you know, who had been now coughing up all these goals, they were basically, it was like a giant, the whole stadium was like a, a gigantic student section, you know, kind of ripping on like the sieve of a goalie with Eddie, Eddie, but it was um, an amazing experience. Those early experiences are always fun. Now, as far as running the handheld down there, what was it like changing from hard camera to handheld? You know, I had done a little bit of both, but, but it's definitely, it, it's, you don't realize the, the weight of the camera and you have a lot of duties that you're also doing as a handheld camera operator. So you're, you're running to try do your, your pregame, you know, interviews as well as getting like license skates and then all of a sudden trying to get yourself into that position. It was to me, what was the, the, the most difficult, but yet challenging part, which I found in really exciting was you don't always see the puck, you know, when you're shooting hockey, most of the time you're blocked by either refs or players or bodies was, was 
learning to to react to where the puck was going, not trying to follow necessarily the puck at speed because it's almost impossible. Um, and over years, I've gotten a lot better at that. But boy, was that scary the first time I was trying to do it because you don't realize the speed of the NHL until you are really watching it. And everything I had done in college felt like half speed to this. Oh, yeah. No, the NHL, the difference between college hockey and the NHL, it is it is definitely it's like third gear to fifth gear. I mean, when you see pros even just go out for a warm-up skate, you realize how yeah. fast that sport really yeah. is. So let's transition to politics. You are, you've had the pleasure, many of us do other than sports. We do a lot of stick and ball, but then we also do corporate, we do politics, we do things outside of the sports arena. In 2008, you had the RNC convention in your backyard and you got into doing some political conventions. What are those like as a camera person? You know, it's it's interesting because uh, John Libretto, who is our director um, uh, for that very first convention, as well as the next convention I did, a seasoned veteran at NBC, was one of the reasons why I think that they really liked adding a whole bunch of us at that time into kind of the large political events because we react differently. You know, we're, we're used to being in moments where we try not to be phased by all the craziness that's going around so we can really focus and hold our shots. It was, it was an amazing experience in all the time that I've had a chance to work with NBC since then. So since that first one, I got to do three different conventions, two Democratic and one Republican, as well as two inaugurations, a host of debates, and then uh, culminating, I had a chance to do the funeral of Bush Sr., um, this last year, uh, December of 2018. So backing up a little bit, uh, you got to meet one of your heroes at a DNC convention. You had grown up watching Tom Brokaw as a kid. Is it still kind of surreal, even though you're working to be like, wait, that's Tom Brokaw? It, it is, you know, because you, you've always seen them, you know, as that, that, that face in the box or whatever on TV. And then um, the, the time that I did the convention, this last one where we were in Philadelphia, um, it, I, all of a sudden, you know, I, I find myself, my position, because you can be put anywhere on those conventions. You could be on a slash camera or whatever. I'm the fourth camera in the NBC network suite, you know? So it's like main guys out of New York and then this, this, this freelance guy out of Minneapolis. So I got to be like his single shot and, and shoot nightly news and Saturday Night Live and then like literally talk politics with the guy that you used to, you know, watch as a kid. And it, it felt like, you know, starting like in local news, you know, to like find yourself, you know, in that kind of level of, you know, Democratic convention primetime coverage was, I remember the, uh, all of the almost horribly busy election nights we would do on the local side to kind of hit that level. It was amazing. I can't imagine those conventions. They've got to be just crazy. But it is, in some respects, like sports. I mean, for me, I'm a Giants fan. But when I'm doing a ball game, I'm working for the Diamondbacks. So there are no fans. We're doing television. Mm -hmm. So I imagine for the conventions, it's similar. I mean, you guys, yeah. doesn't matter what your politics are. You're still covering the event for the team that's putting on the event. Yeah. And and, and telling the story for the network that's telling it, you know. And uh, it's it's it was it gives you lots of access you know, especially when you're the like the, the host for the, the, the pool feed. So almost in every one of these, not only are we like doing the NBC shows, but in those situations, we're generally the pool feed, which means that we're every network. So that's the reason why when you, you're watching something and you see basically the same show on like five different networks, CNN, CBS, Fox, all of them, 
you know, that's coming out of that same one truck that then the networks are putting stuff on top of. So you're kind of, if you think about one polarized network being this kind of view and this one, really when we're the pool feed, we're feeding both of those the same show. And then they, then they put their spin on it. You're just creating TV, like a world mm -hmm. feed would be in a soccer game or something like that. Yeah. Now, we don't always shoot happy moments. There are sad moments. It was 9-11 in our sport, and that shut us down. Right now, we're coronavirus, and we're shut down, and we're hoping sports comes back. But there's also sad moments in politics, and you got to cover the Bush 41 funeral and had an interesting moment that was unexpected. Tell me about that. I was doing an NBA game, um, and I was actually, I do a little bit of ENG shooting in Minneapolis as well. So I'm doing an early shoot-around sound prior to, you know, then, then kind of, starting to set up the truck for the game that night. And I get a call that says, Hey, can you be in Washington at like 10 o'clock tomorrow morning? Because Bush senior has passed away. And there's a protocol that just instantly goes into motion the, of how a president lies in state and a whole bunch of the people in Washington that I would, that I've loved to work with over the years. They're all out of the country because I believe the G20 summit was going on. And so, so they had to get a crew in right away. So I had a chance to go there. We set up, um, I had a chance to be the camera that was like, it was pretty much myself, the military, a large military band in the family when the casket arrived. And I got to see, you know, a, a casket basically go eye level where I'm seeing the soldiers take them across and then up the steps and then, but the, you know, so they're lying in state for a couple of days, but I, I, I have the, the pleasure of having had the moment of being one of the only camera guys to ever see a president touched the casket of his another president who was his father in the Capitol Rotunda. And that almost did not happen because we would, we would basically kind of man the cameras from like around eight o'clock in the morning to like six or seven o'clock at night, kind of the prime time. Then we kind of locked the cameras off for the overnight. So we had, we were pretty much done with our day and we're walking down the hill to head to, to our hotel and people are leaving to get in their cars. You know, the director who does meet the press, Sarah, you know, is walking to her car to head out when screaming out of the truck is one of the producers saying, come back, come back. The Bush family's on their way. Come back, come back. And we had to like, stop, like, right there on the hill and we were looking, the director and us camera guys, and we ran in separate directions and sprinted to the top of the hill to get ourselves in, even with really good security clearance, to get inside to cover this truly amazing moment where the Bush family came to pay their last respects and say goodbye with the funeral the next day, but barely made it in the building. And I had one of the best press credentials, you know, all access you can possibly ever have. And I'm still, was pleading with like a secret service guy to let us in the building that we were the TV crew that needed to be in there to cover this moment. They let us in. And then I had that moment. Wow. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, there's an iconic image and to have it happen so randomly at a moment, but it was, I mean, sometimes luck is on our side and we happen to be there and, and it's not like the Capitol is an easy place to get into anyway. So now you're yeah. dealing with the fact that a president is coming to a president lying in state and yeah, I can see where the pandemonium was set in, but it is an amazing moment to have experienced yeah. on TV and you know what, sometimes luck is on your side. Yeah, I had two really fun moments with that because I had the Bush family. But the thing that I felt was even a stronger moment for that was I also had the chance when Bob Dole um, was kind of got up from his chair and did the salute. And these guys were like arch rivals their whole career that 
this kind of pain of respect was very, very humbling. And it was, it was fun to be part of that kind of history. Yeah, that is amazing. Yeah. It's another, I remember I, I, that, that moment is definitely burned in my mind. Um, sometimes luck is not on our side and sometimes other tragedies occur in our backyard. I remember for me, I was living, I hadn't quite moved to Phoenix or I just moved to Phoenix and I remember watching the news and there was a bridge collapse in Minneapolis. Now my mom lives in Minneapolis still, so of course my first thought is calling her and saying, please, you know, you weren't on the bridge. I have family members who had friends who were involved with it. But that night there was a twins game scheduled and they decided to go on with it. But the the way things unfolded for you after that were a little crazy. How did that go? Well, the the day it was a really hot day. It was this was August first um, that that bridge collapse happened, and they were doing construction on that bridge. And I remember driving to work that day that I was going across the bridge, and it felt, you know, I think everyone feels after a, a, a tragedy that you know they felt like something weird was going on. But we get back basically, we go set up on days that we're in. We have a later call, so we got there, did our early facts. And then went off to lunch, you know, camera guys like their lunches. And, uh, and all of a sudden we get a call, you know, from one of our camera guys gets a call from his girlfriend that says, I just saw the bridge fall. And he's like, no. And she's like, cause she was working kind of right along the river. She's like, I just saw the whole bridge fall into the river. And we're like, well, we'll see. And that's when the news reports started to hit. They decided to play the game that night because of the amount of fans that were already there that they didn't want to try put into where that, that bridge collapse was because it's a major artery in Minneapolis. So we had to play an entire and cover a baseball game while getting news of this horrible tragedy that happened. And at the same time, we're trying to do that fielding calls on my phone because the moment the game ended, I ended up literally not changing clothes, driving, getting myself to the other side of the river and, and then parking myself. And then I got on camera and started doing live hits for CNN from basically midnight until noon the next day when another one of our sports camera ops, Tim DeBoer, took over for me because they canceled the game the next day. So we started basically doing shifts to try to cover a tragedy that, you know, you never can expect what's going to happen on a four o'clock or five o'clock in the afternoon on a given Tuesday. That is the crazy part about our industry is live happens and it's you know i say that to my crews all the time is live happens and you can plan all you want but when live happens you have to go with it let's talk a lighter note let's talk some fun experiences for you doing baseball baseball is my favorite sport i direct for the region i do evs i've done baseball for a long time i've loved it since i was a kid but one of my regrets i had a gig last year i got called to do the nats games three four and five in washington last year for the world series and i had to turn it down because i had a directing gig but there was a part of me that's like well maybe i can go do the world series it was also your first world series tell me about that experience of going to washington and the craziness that was that game it was a crazy world series with all the road teams winning but just the craziness of washington and that series yeah. You know, the, the, the fun thing about, you know, doing politics there is, you know, all of my, my like press friends are huge sports fans. They're, they're huge fans of NBA. And obviously they were all riled up for their nationals. And so, and I, I'm super excited. I get, I get the call from Matt Gangle that says, Hey, you know, we need you in, in Washington. And can you fly like the next, you know, like the next day I had Thursday night football that week. So with Russo, so 
Um, I, Matt got trumped by Russo because I was already on a game that was actually a game and not a setup day. So all the guys that were traveling from Houston that I think I would have been doing like, you know, the, the mid setup while they were traveling. I think I got in later than they did because I did the Thursday night game that night and then flew the next morning and then did the, you know, the Friday, Saturday and Sunday games of games five, six and seven. Um, of which the fans were amazing in that series. It's always, it was a tough series because yeah, the, the, the way team won on every single one of them, but it was always a lot of energy going into it. And so, and it was kind of for the guys that I went to school with, you know, and I'd been doing baseball my entire career. They, they had been doing the world series a year before, but this was my first chance to kind of hang out with a bunch of all these great guys out of, you know, New York and some great guys out of California. And then our kind of contingent out of Minneapolis, it was really a, a, a ton of fun to have that, that opportunity to do. Well, you got to have that Midwest representation, you know, there's, yeah. there's operators in the Midwest that are really good too. And I love working in Minneapolis and Wisconsin. There's great, great guys that do NFL, do baseball, do all of that stuff. Now, talking baseball you and i have not done a no hitter i still someday i'm going to do a no hitter but one of the craziest things you experienced twice in a very short amount of time is a triple play i mean i it the triple play is one of the craziest things especially a natural triple play what was that like yeah. to go your whole career and then all of a sudden it happens twice in such a short time Matt gangle would always would always joke about how he's done how many baseball games he's done he never seen a triple play and then we're playing the yankees and all of a sudden uh boom, triple play. And we're like, we can't, I, I can't believe it. I mean, I had, I had done my entire career without ever seeing it. I don't even think I'd seen it even at like a college or a high school level. I don't think I'd ever seen a triple play. And then the, we, we, we have that triple play against the Yankees. They literally, the twins go on the road and it was less than two weeks later, the twins do another triple play at home. So not only, you know, after like a 20 year drought, we get not one, but two triple plays all within about a two week period. So it was like the Atlanta Braves was the second one. Same pitcher on the mound for both of them. You don't expect to see them. There's certain plays in baseball that you're kind of like, yeah, you'll never see that. You know, and you always kind of joke that it's going to be a triple play. But then when you actually see one, it's like, oh, well, that was actually a triple play. I mean, yeah. double plays happen all the time, but triple plays are very rare. All right. So to wrap things up, tell me about your favorite moment. And we're going back into the time machine a little bit. But being a Minnesota boy, you got to do a championship game. Tell me about that. Um, I, it, 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 if you know, if you're from Minnesota, like you are in the Midwest, hockey is, is, is a massive sport to our state and, and kind of between with the lull of the stars going away and, you know, and then the wild kind of coming back, you know, college hockey, especially university of Minnesota hockey is, um, about as big as it gets in Minneapolis. I mean, I'm not a huge gopher fan cause I went to St. Cloud state. So go Huskies, but, um, my first job right out of, College, though, was I got, you know, tapped to be the um, the producer for AM 1500 for the radio coverage for the Gophers for a couple of years. And so that's actually where I think I really learned the game even more so than when I used to kind of cover it at St. Cloud was I used to sit down with um, Doug Woog and we would do all the, you know, mic him up kind of pregame sound and stuff. So the Gophers are now at the national championship game against the main Black Bears on ESPN. The crew, a lot of them out of you know ESPN, all were going for the main Bears because there's this story about a player that had passed away. They had his jersey hanging on the bench. You know, everyone wanted to root, except obviously the 
19,400 fans, which is a lie. I think there was more people in the building than that to see this game because the Gophers had not done a national, hadn't been a national championship game. They had not won one in over 23 years. So, so it's in there, it's at their arena, it's in their backyard and they're down and they come back and we tie it with uh, almost no, I think there was 57 seconds left on the clock. And the amount of noise in that building was deafening. I mean, that's those times that doesn't matter if you had Davy Clark headsets on, you can barely hear, you know, because of how loud that that was. And so it goes, so we tie it with 57 seconds left and we won it in overtime. And as it, it I have the reverse ISO tight camera on it, and right at the end of the game on the score, my camera starts shaking uncontrollably. I can tell someone's on the platform, you know, bouncing me around. So I'm going to turn around and try to get the guy off the platform so I can shoot. And it's Doug Wu, who had been that head coach at the Gophers, um, was so emotional. He was jumping up and down and we start hugging each other. And I'm then trying to still get him off the platform so I can go back to shooting. because I'm sure I'm probably being yelled at at the time, whether I can hear it or not, you know, but that was that that where you feel an entire building in your body that was the only time that I kind of got close to that was um last year I did the game seven with the Golden Knights versus San Jose in San Jose the the Poveski payback is a lot of what a lot of people call it where that five minute major and they scored the the four power play goals and ended up beating they that might be a second to that University of Minnesota for how loud a building was for a single hockey game. Well, that's part of why, I'm not going to lie, us truck folk can get jealous of you guys because while it might be cold, hot, and all the stuff, you guys actually get to experience the sheer volume of those rooms. I mean, we we hear it through a speaker, but you guys get to actually experience the energy in those rooms. And yeah, I imagine that Vegas game with, it was that was a crazy period of hockey. I can't imagine. I mean, yeah, because I mean, it was the captain. He was knocked out cold, you know? And so you could tell that the team was going to rally behind it. And it was like a a change in the building in that moment. And then it was funny because a lot of the guys that were, you know, doing the NBC that were on the East coast, I think they were all kind of hoping that they'd be going to Vegas, you know, to cover, you know, the next series. And it was like, they're, they're, they're having, you know, I think they're sitting at a hotel bar there. It was like an off night for them watching our game. And then all of a sudden they're like, we're getting texts like in between periods saying, Hey, Vegas, baby. And then, all of a sudden it just all of a sudden changed. It turned. Yes. Turned instantly. Well, Buddha, I appreciate you coming on the show today. I had a lot of fun. I look forward to seeing you down the road when we get back to doing some baseball and we get sports back in the buildings, but I appreciate you coming on the show today. And I appreciate you doing these shows. You know, it's a lot of fun to be able to, uh, you know, tune in and, and, and hear some of these great stories from so many talented professionals that we have in our, in our craft. And I'm so proud that, you know, I got to be on the show and that I got to um, experience uh, doing this with you. Well, I appreciate being on the show. You're actually show number 10, so it's a milestone for me as well. So I appreciate it. I'm having a fun time doing it. It's great to let people see behind the camera on what we do and kind of the crazy people we are. They only ever see 
who's on the air, but there's a lot of great people behind the scenes. And that's why I love directing because I get to work with all of you guys behind the scenes, guys and gals, and there's all over the United States and it's so much fun. But yes, I, I appreciate you coming on the show. I had a blast. Thank you so much. Yeah. I, I feel bad for people that have to work in offices all the time because it feels like so, so much more of a family when we all have to cram into trucks and stuff with each other all the time. So. Oh yeah, no. And we get paid to watch sports. So there's, it's a great gig. So I will stay safe in this time and I appreciate you coming. Thank you very much. To watch past episodes or for more information on today's show, visit BehindTheCamerapodcast.com and we'll see you next time.